0: Welcome to the Semper Reformator Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. we've been looking at Noah. Now we've come to chapter 8. And chapter 8 begins with a great connection. Because the reason that I read from a little bit earlier in the narrative in chapter 7, simply because chapter 8 begins with the word and. And and is a conjunction. It's not the beginning of a sentence, sure it's not. It always implies that it's the second half of a sentence. And so we must look at chapter 7 and verse 24 and join it to chapter 8, verse 1. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days, and God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. Well, that's good, isn't it? God remembered Noah. Had he forgotten about him? Was he so busy flooding the world that he'd forgot that there was a guy called Noah, along with his family, who was in this ark and were and was floating upon the top of the waters, and all of a sudden he says, Oh, by the way, I'd forgotten there's a man called Noah. I must go and rescue him. Not at all. Whenever we read in Genesis about God remembering. It's always associated with his mighty acts on behalf of human beings. In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 29, we read there that when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham. I hadn't forgotten Abraham. He remembered Abraham, and he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. You see, God remembered, and he acted. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 22 And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and he opened her womb. God remembered Noah. And he's about to intervene on Noah's behalf. Here's the point. Noah is no different than any of the rest of us. Remember our description of Noah's character right back at the very beginning. He's a sinner. He's saved by grace through faith alone. God remembered Noah and God remembers us. Listen to this wonderful promise in Psalm 136. Who remembered us in our lowest state. For his mercy endureth forever. Listen to Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 15. Can a woman forget her suckling child? That she should have not have compassion on the son of her womb. Yea, she may forget Yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. God remembers us. Those who are his. Read the book of Malachi. See how God remembers us. But there's a negative aspect to this as well because it doesn't say here that God remembered Noah and every living thing that was in the ark and the people who perished. No. See who God does not remember. It does not say that God remembered all the millions of sinners who perished in the flood. He remembered Noah. In his old commentary, Matthew Henry simply states here, The whole race of mankind, except Noah and his family, are now extinguished and driven into the land of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. So that God's remembering Noah was the return of his mercy to mankind. This connection is there. When the waters flooded the earth, when every living substance was destroyed, when men and cattle and creeping things and the fowl of the heaven and the fowl, and while those things were all being destroyed from off the earth, only Noah was preserved, for he was remembered of the Lord. The rest of the chapter talks about the construction. We've had the connection. We have the construction. For God is now going to recreate the world that he had created and which he had decreated in the flood and which he is now going to recreate. So you know, sometimes we see great catastrophic floods all around the world. And sometimes people will say, Are these God's judgment, God's judgment on mankind? I wonder, are they? What do you think? While back, a DUP councillor in Ballymena a few years ago got himself into trouble for saying that the floods in New Orleans were the judgment of God on a sinful city. I've been to New Orleans, so has Jeanette. We've been there for a Christian conference. What a strange place to hold a Christian conference! We've walked in the streets and did all the tourist things, went up the Mississippi in a one of those paddle steamers and all that kind of stuff, went to see the famous French Quarter. You might say, What's that like? Everybody says if you go to New Orleans, go and see the French Quarter. The French Quarter is filthy. It stinks with smells filthy smells and it's full of degradation. And it's full of filth and abominations. And it's full of fornication. In fact, it was so bad that they used to run tours from the hotel that we were staying in. You could pick up a leaflet Sin City Tours. That's how they build it. So when New Orleans flooded, was that God's judgment? I don't know. I'm not privy to the mind of God. I'm not able to comprehend the providence of God or the counsel of God. So who am I going to blame it on? I'm going to say that the basic cause of much of the modern flooding we have today is a very simple thing. It's called the weather. All right. The weather. It happens all the time. Not climate change. Not global warning. Floods in America, floods just recently in Dallas, floods a few years ago in Cumbria, floods even here in Northern Ireland. Don't you remember the time when there was some man driving his car along the west link around Belfast and he went underneath that underpass that they built and before he got out the other end he was flooded. And he was sitting on the roof of his car and the TV cameras had a picture of him being rescued in a boat by the police. Some of those floods were dangerous. Some of them were catastrophic. Some of them were disastrous. Some of them were a loss of property. Some of them were a loss of life. The cause of all those floods, I am confident to say, is a thing called the weather. It rains. And it rains heavily. And there's too much rain. And things flood. Now, that is greatly different from the flood at Noah's day. Greatly different. The flood at Noah's day was not caused by global warming. It wasn't caused by climactic conditions. It wasn't caused by freak weather systems. It was God himself who created this world Pressing, if you like, pressing the reset button on creation. Restoring creation to the Genesis 1 verse 1 situation where earth was destroyed and needed to be completely rebuilt if there was ever going to be a future for Noah, the man who found grace in the sight of God. So look how he does it. We're still in chapter 8 and verse 1. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. Turn back a few pages. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1 In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Sounds very like the days when Noah was floating in the ark. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. I'm no Hebrew scholar. I can only go by what people tell me. I'm told there that the word that's used for spirit in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 is exactly the same Hebrew word that's used for wind. The wind blew across, passed over the earth, and the waters swayed. The work of the Holy Spirit begins the work of recreation. A new world. A new life, a new heaven, a new birth, a new earth, a whole new beginning. And it's nothing to do with the weather, nothing to do with global warming. It's solely the work of God, effected by the agency of the Holy Spirit. The waters ceasing to cover the earth, returning to their boundaries, as had happened at creation. Great attention is given to detail right throughout the passage it's precise, it's meticulous it's a factual account there's a parallel record of how God decreated and recreated the world and not only does that parallel each other but the act of recreation parallels the original act of creation and here's the amazing thing it's going to happen again well it won't be water this time it'll be fire because God tells us that in his word in Second Peter chapter 3 that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up verse 13 of that chapter says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We come to the end of the voyage. <laughs> Sorry, if I alarmed you there, you have thought I was going to say we come to the end of the sermon. We come to the end of the voyage. The conclusion. We've got the connection and the construction and the conclusion, for it tells us in verse four that the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. I'm not going to get into all the chronology; I leave that to people who can count. I'm going to point out too that the ark rested. You see, creation has been affected again, and at creation, God rested. When the earth was made. Resting is a very important thing. In creation and the flood stories. Apparently Noah's very name means rest. The ark according to people with a more mathematical brain. Hit the bottom on a Friday. So the very full first day it would have rested. Would have been a Saturday. And we look at the parallels, God's work in creation. Six days he created the earth, but on the seventh day he rested. And when we look at God resting, we find that it was him being worshipped, being enthroned as the king of the universe. Psalm 29 and verse 19 says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. And Noah begins to seek God's plans. As the ark rests, he sends forth the raven, the the, the animal which is unclean. He sends forth the dove, the symbol of peace. He removes the cover, verse 13. In the 601st year of the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry the conclusion of the voyage and the command that comes to disembark. Verse 15 And God spake unto Noah saying, Go forth of the ark thy and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. The language is very deliberate. There has been a long time in this ark. Seven days of preparation, 40 days of rain, 150 days of drifting. I can't get my head around all the numbers and marry them all up together. But there is no account during that time that he had had any word from God as he was in the ark. God spoke to him and he said, come into the ark. Then he speaks to Noah all that time later and he says, go out, leave the ark, it's safe. Take all the animals and go out and populate the earth. Now why do I say the language is deliberate? Well, it's interesting. God calls Noah in and he sends him out. Let's think about that for a minute. If you come to my door some night and you knock the door I'll open the door to you well I might open the door to you I might want to find out who you are first we have a kind of a security hut at the front of our house like a sanger and you say I can look out into it before I open the outside door I have to open the inside door and I can look out and if I don't like a look at you I'll just say go away but if I saw any of you standing there I would open the door and I would say come in And you would come in and you'd wipe your feet and you'd sit down and I'll say you'll have had your tea and I'll go and get you something and we'll make you welcome. And then as the night goes on, I'll say, now, it's time for you to go out, for I'm going to bed. Now's the time you have to tell people to go out, maybe in a gentle way, drop a wee hint. Sometimes the best way to do it is to say, oh, look, the poor dog's tired. I think the dog needs to go to bed. Maybe it's time we went to bed. Yeah, go out. Now, I wouldn't be standing in my house and saying to you, go you in the house there. And when it came to time for me to ask you to go, I wouldn't step outside the door, well, unless I'm being very eccentric, I wouldn't step outside the door and shout in, would you come out now? I would tell you to go. I'm saying that when God wanted Noah to come into the ark, he called him to come in where was god when he called noah into the ark he was in the ark with him where was god when he told noah to go out of the ark he was in the ark with him you see the language of the of the scripture there implies to us That even though Noah was in the ark, even though he was shut up in the dark, even though he was in the depths of that vessel and could see nothing, imagine the fear when the vessel started lifting, when the water started to lap around the outside. Have you ever been in a ship in deep seas in a storm? I have. We have. And you can hear the water and the waves bashing against the ship. Remember being on the old SS Canberra one evening out tossing about in the sea. It was so old that the engines failed and the lights went out. And in the midst of it all, our cabin started to fill with water. And I'll tell you something, we made some run up them stairs. Fear out in the middle of the sea. And God wasn't speaking to Noah during this time. But here's the comforting thought. All that time that Noah was in that ark, he was right in the very presence of God. For he says to us, that even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Noah was in the ark. Fled for refuge in Christ. And there he was in the very presence of God. Kept safe and secure. Lastly, we have the celebration of God's grace. And I had to finish with this one because next time I come back, whenever that is, we're going to look at the covenant that God made with Noah. Noah covenant of grace that'll be interesting celebration of God's grace for there was worship Noah offered a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord. He'd been saved. He'd been brought through the waters of the flood. He's safely at rest in his new home. And God is to be given all the glory. And so there is praise for Noah building an altar unto the Lord. And there's pleasure in the sight of God. For the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And there's promise. And that promise is the covenant between God and all mankind, which we look at, which we look at next time. Now, why am I emphasising that so strongly? That parallel account of creation and recreation—why does it matter? Well, because people think that this present world will go on forever and ever, and it won't. God has already created this world and decreated it and recreated it, and He's going to do it again. And only those who are in the ark, those who are in Christ, will safely arrive. In the land of eternal rest where God is truly worshipped as our creator and our saviour and our king in a new regenerated earth.